title of the message this morning is an introduction to a true pastor. An introduction to a true pastor. I told you when we began studying the book of Titus that it would stand in contrast to our study in the book of Jude, uh, which we just finished studying. The book of Jude taught us about false pastors who slipped into the church. The book of Titus teaches us about true pastors that God places in the church through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul began the book of Titus by speaking about God's promise of eternal life, which he promised before the world began. But remember, he manifested that promise uh, to the world through the preaching of the gospel. So we learned last week that the foundation of a pastor's ministry is to manifest the truths of Jesus Christ. And now we come to the place in our study where we are introduced to a true gospel minister, a man named Titus, whom the book is uh, titled after, or this letter is titled after. Paul said he wrote this letter, if you'll look in verse 4, to Titus. Titus was an evangelist who served under the authority of the Apostle Paul. And by serving in that capacity, Titus acted in an apostolic and pastoral role to the churches that began as a result of Paul's ministry. Let me explain. Paul would travel to different cities, and he would tell the people for the first time the good news of what Jesus had done. Jesus had just died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. He just fulfilled the the prophecies of the Old Testament about Jesus coming to deliver the world from their sin. So Paul and his companions would travel from place to place and spread the good news of what Christ had done. And if a group of people believed that good news in a certain city, then Paul and his companions would have to stay a little bit and uh, organize that group of people into a local church. I mean, after telling them the gospel, they couldn't just say, well, y'all be careful out there, hope you the best, and then move on to the next city. That wouldn't work, would it? Somebody had to stay with them a while and continue to teach them so they could grow in their understanding of the gospel, mature as Christians, and become a functioning church with pastors who could lead them and continue the work on from there. And this was one of Titus's jobs. He helped train the particular people in a city that could eventually uh, appoint some of their own people as pastors over them. Uh, and, uh, and so that's what Titus did. He kind of helped get that going, get that organized. So you could say that Titus was a pastor's pastor. Okay? You think of it like that. He helped establish churches, organize them, and set up their leadership. When we say the book of Jude, we learn about false pastors that lead people astray. But Titus was not one of those pastors. Paul said, Titus, look back in your text now, was mine own son after the common faith. Mine own son after the common faith. Now that word translated own here, it's a Greek word that literally means legitimate, legitimate And that same word is translated as 
the word true or sincere elsewhere in the Bible. So Paul is saying that Titus is my true legitimate son in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, Titus was no imposter. Titus was a true son because he had been born again through his faith in Jesus. As a man, Titus had a flawed faith. But Titus did not have a false faith. Okay, Unlike the false pastors, he wasn't out to deceive the church and lead them astray. He was out to disciple the church and lead them to a greater knowledge of the truth. In the book of Jude... Uh, Jude uncovered, the Apostle Jude pulled back the cover of those false pastors and we got to see them for the, the greedy and lying and abominable people that they really were. But here in the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul is pulling back the cover. And we have the great privilege of eavesdropping in on a conversation between two genuine pastors. Who were placed in the church by Christ. In this letter. Pastor Paul is speaking to Pastor Timothy. About the affairs of the church. And they're not talking about how they can scam the church out of some of their money. They're not talking about how they can introduce some kind of clever false doctrine of the church to deceive them. They're talking about how they can protect the church both from creepy clergy, the false pastors we learned about in the book of Jude, as well as true Christians who are not qualified to lead the church. Okay, They have to be protected from both. They are talking about how they can preserve the truth and keep the church running in the efficient, wise, and holy manner that God designed. So in this letter, we have two True pastors who are collaborating on the care of Jesus' church. Now, I want you to notice that Paul said Titus was a true son. Look back in your text. After the common faith. See that? After the common faith. Take your pens out, please. And underscore that phrase, the common faith. The common faith. Now... Outside the margin of your Bible where it says the common faith, write this down in the margin of your Bible. Write down Jude 1 verse 3. Jude 1 verse 3. Now let me spark your memory here a little bit when we were back in the book of Jude. Jude 1 3 says this. The apostle Jude said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude wrote his letter to protect the message of the common salvation. Paul wrote his letter to ensure that the church had pastors who were of the common faith. You see, because we have a common salvation... We all have a common faith. That makes sense, right? (laughs) We are a diverse group of people. We have people here who have uh, different talents, different political 
uh, religious backgrounds. Uh, uh, we got some folks that just moved from California, from the, the, the uh, West Coast out there. We have people from up north. We have people who've come from all over. We're a diverse group of people. So we all have different backgrounds. Our stories are not all the same. But though we all have different stories, we all have the same faith. Or we must all have the same faith. How about that? If you're a child of God, you may have a different story than I do. But you're going to have to have the same faith that I do. Christians come from a wide variety of backgrounds, but ultimately Christians all come to the same narrow conclusion about the gospel. Does that make sense? A wide variety of backgrounds, but we all come down to the same narrow conclusion about the gospel. Matthew seven fourteen, Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life. And few there be that find it. So people who claim to have the same salvation we do. Will also have the same faith we do. Okay. Uh, They will have their hope for eternal life. In the cross of Jesus Christ. If it's in anything else. It's not the same faith. Because God only provided one salvation. And that was the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes from the Father but by me. So that's that narrow way that you get to God. is through Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection of the cross on your behalf. The salvation God provided in his son. That's the common salvation And in order to be saved, you must have faith in him for that salvation. Therefore, it is a common faith. So people who claim to have the common salvation that we have must have the common faith that we have. And if they don't share the same faith, then they don't have the same salvation. That's all there is to it. Paul, Titus, and Jude... They all shared a common faith in the common salvation that God provided through Jesus Christ. And Paul, knowing that Titus shared this common faith with him in Christ, wished him this. Look back in your text. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Oh, man, I tell you, uh, Tammy and I, we have these wind chimes hanging up. Uh, outside our little sunroom where we like to sit. Every now and then the wind will come. And when those chimes knock into each other, it just makes a beautiful sound. And to me, when I hear the words grace, mercy, and peace run into each other, it makes a beautiful sound. Paul frequently includes some form of this loving expression in his greetings that he writes uh, in his letters. Paul was a very practical man. He, he, his ministry made him that way. It had to. Paul was far too busy caring for the church and struggling with health, health issues and suffering persecution and imprisonment for preaching the gospel to be concerned for the, the worldly things 
that this world has to offer. Paul knew the world was coming to an end. And all that mattered to him was getting God's word out and getting his will done while there was still time. So Paul didn't wish Titus financial prosperity as many of the false TV preachers do. Paul knew what really mattered in this life. So Paul instead expressed his desire for Titus to enjoy God's grace Mercy and peace. Now we hear the word grace all the time. But what is grace? And perhaps when I ask that question to you this morning. One of those patent answers will fill your head. Because you may have been in church for a very long time. And, and, uh, and you might think. Oh well, well I, I know. I've, 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 I've got this answer here. And so you fill in the definition. Let me tell you what God's grace is. Grace is the goodness of God extended to man. Grace is the goodness of God. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Grace is the goodness of God extended to man. We've heard grace defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. Kind of making an acronym out of that, haven't we? Or perhaps you've heard grace defined as The unmerited favor of God. And there is definitely some truth in those definitions. But I'm afraid they may limit our understanding of grace if we limit our understanding to those definitions. And that's because when we think of grace, I think that we oftentimes default on thinking of grace in terms of salvation, right? About salvation being by grace through faith. But grace isn't limited to salvation. Grace is the boundless, timeless, glorious goodness of God extended to man. Think of it this way. God is good. Therefore, God is full of goodness. So for the purpose of this illustration, I would like for you to picture in your mind this morning... A bucket full of water. Picture the bucket right up here. A bucket full of water. And that bucket full of water pictures God full of goodness. You picture that in your mind? I wonder what your bucket looks like. I bet mine looks better than yours. (laughs) Now to help us grasp the idea a little bit better this morning. Let's say that this bucket full of water, God being full of goodness, let's picture that this bucket full of water has been sitting in the same place here for all eternity, before the world was ever made, before you and I were ever born, before the sun, the moon, the sky, the stars were ever in existence, the bucket full of water was here, okay? But one day, a thirsty traveler happens to be walking that way. And that thirsty traveler comes upon that bucket full of water. Can you picture that in your mind? Now, when that thirsty traveler comes upon that bucket full of water, we have a needy man and a bucket full of God's goodness. Okay? We have a needy man. 
in a bucket full of God's goodness. But when the water in that bucket enters the belly of that thirsty man, we have a joyful man full of God's grace. That makes sense? Okay? So, bucket full of goodness. Here's God's goodness. We got a thirsty man. So now we have a needy man and God who's full of goodness. But when that goodness of God reaches that man's belly, we have a joyful man full of God's grace. God's grace is the goodness of God in the bucket extended to man. Does that make sense? Think of it like that. And we'll enlarge upon this just a little bit more. Now, as I said before, God's goodness is without limit. Why? God's without limit, isn't he? <laughs> so, so his goodness is without limit. And because it's without limit, it's not limited to salvation. Before Adam sinned, Adam was living in paradise. That's pretty good, isn't it? Before Adam needed salvation, while he was still in his sinless state, God gave him a wife. So think about that just a moment. The Garden of Eden was good. Having a wife was good. The Bible says everything God made was very good. So the Garden of Eden was the goodness of God. But when God put Adam in the Garden of Eden, that was the grace of God. It was God's goodness extended to man. Eve was the goodness of God. But when God gave her to Adam, that was the grace of God. It was God's goodness extended to man. God's life was good. But when God breathed that life into the nostrils of Adam, that was the grace of God. God's goodness extended to man. Jesus Christ was the goodness of God. God looked at him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But when God put Jesus on the cross, that was the grace of God. He was God's goodness extended to man. That's why salvation is by grace through faith. Us believing the good work that God has done for us. To send his son to make atonement for our sin. Okay, since sin separates us from God. Since we all understand that now. Since sin separates us from God. It ultimately separates us from God's grace. Does that make sense? God is the goodness we need. And as long as man and God are together. Then man has everything he needs. In fact, he has no need because he has God. But sin separates God from man. That's why God said, if you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from, which would be sin, that'd be disobedience. He said, you'll surely die. The God that gave the life to him, that goodness extended to man, he would be separated from God and ultimately he would die. Man began by God's life going into him, but because of sin, man ends by God's life going out of him. So for us to enjoy the eternal fullness of God's grace, 
We must be restored back to God. In whom all goodness dwells. And that restoration back to him comes through our common salvation in Christ. Who was God's goodness extended back to us through the gospel. So Paul said this grace, mercy, and peace comes. Look back in your text. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. You see how all this fits together? So we talked about grace. Now let's consider the word mercy. The word mercy here is simply one of the countless ways that God's goodness is extended to man. In the Greek word translated mercy here, it means compassion. If you have a notepad and a pen, write down the word compassion. Compassion. I've talked about this word before, but we have a tendency to forget, so we'll remind you. Take your pen and circle the, the prefix com, C-O-M, and then underline the word passion. So when you think about, and this is uh, Easter coming up here real soon, and there's going to be many passion plays. And they call it the passion of the Christ. The word passion means to suffer. The prefix C-O-M, and if you speak Spanish, that would mean something to you as well. But that, that prefix C-O-M, it, it, it's, it's Latin and it means with. So with suffering, with suffering. Okay. So the word compassion in our English, it literally means to feel another person's pain. To feel another person's pain. To put yourself in their place. To care about the situation that they are in. A couple of days ago, I saw a video on the news, a very sad video, where I believe it was an Uber driver was um, held at gunpoint. A woman. Anyone else see that video besides me? One or two people? And uh, sadly, the robber later killed that woman. But before he did, the woman told the man, she said, don't do this. I have four children. Hoping that he would have compassion on her. Now when I heard her say that. And I'm sure you probably felt the same way. When I heard her say that. Immediately the position that I am in as a dad. My kids are all grown and gone. But, but I, I can totally put myself in her shoes. Knowing what it's like to have little children at home. Who depend on you to take care of them. And so I felt her pain. The robber did not. He did not have compassion. When he heard her tell him she had four children. Well he took everything she had including her life anyway. Very sad. And I felt a strong righteous desire to avenge that woman's death. You see, that's the wonderful thing about God. God doesn't just watch us suffer from a distance and go, hey man, get a look at that. He has compassion on us. God puts himself in our place and he feels our pain. Caring about who we are and the situation that we're in. That's why God sent his son to die in our place. Mercy. Mercy. Compassion. 
That's why in the Old Testament tabernacle, God made sure that with all those laws out there, I mean, a bunch of righteous laws given to a bunch of unrighteous people. That had to be a lot of pressure on them. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Oh, God, we're so sinful. But in the midst of all of that, God gave them a mercy seat. He gave them a compassion seat, Brother Doug. Isn't that good? Because God cares about the situation we are in. Even though God told Adam, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And even though that sin that Adam committed brought death and sorrow into the world. Even though we are the ones who are to blame for the trouble that's in the world today. God still hurt with us. And he cares so much about us that he's not willing that any should perish. But all should come to repentance. So he sent his son. When God saw our suffering, he extended the goodness of his mercy to us. Feeling our pain, the grace of his mercy met our need. And God's mercy not only meets our need to be delivered from sin... But every need we have will be met by the mercy of God's marvelous grace. Finally, Paul said, peace. Peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. The word peace is translated from a Greek word that, that means to put something back together again. Tammy accidentally knocked over a clay pot in the sunroom yesterday and it went crack at least it sounded like it went crack and I thought oh boy I want to put this back together again somehow fortunately I picked it back up and and it was still in one piece at least for now but that's what this Greek word means to put something back together again remember we have the needs that we have right because of our separation from God so, so think about it. God created the world before he created man. Isn't that neat? He created man, what, first, middle, or last? He created man last. He did that for a reason. Because he wanted man to experience his grace. So when God created man, man already had everything he needed. Therefore, man had no need. Does that make sense? No need at all. Man had no needs because man had God who had extended his goodness to him before he was ever scooped up from the earth. But sin separated man from God. And that separation created man's need. Being deprived in measure from God, he was deprived of the goodness that he needed. Health needs, financial needs, emotional needs, spiritual and psychological needs, all stem from man needing God. Sin brought separation. Separation brought need. So by restoring our relationship to God... By putting us back together again. Our needs would be fully met by God again. Therefore God having mercy upon us. Extended his goodness to us. By making peace with us through Jesus. 
through the cross, joining us back to everything we ever needed to begin with. Him. When we preach the gospel, do you know what we're doing? When we preach the gospel, we are offering the world grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Everything we ever needed, everything that we could ever righteously long for, is supplied through the grace, mercy, and peace that God gives us through the cross of Christ. And that's why a true pastor must base every ministry of the church upon that. And that's why a false pastor will base his church's ministries upon everything else but that. That's why they need the circus, the lights. That's why they need the bells and the whistles. That's why they need the carnal entertainment and the carnal activities. Because the devil doesn't care about what you do in church. All he cares about is making sure that you do not experience the genuine grace, mercy, and peace that you really need. And with that, we'll go ahead and close this morning. And God willing, take back up and... Titus 1 verse 5 next week. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the the people who came here today. And thank you for the, the wonderful respect and attention they show. And following along with us in the scriptures, Lord. I pray that we'll always be so careful. To never depart from your words, but to let them put your truth in our hearts as we go through them. So that we come here, Lord, each Sunday and Wednesday night, learning from God and not from man. Thank you, Lord, so much for giving us what we really need. Giving yourself back to us. Giving us, Lord, your grace, mercy, and peace. From you. And through Christ Jesus. Our Savior. It's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen.